Hi, welcome to Asana's podcast, where we'll be focusing on professional relationships, what they are, how they work, and how to make our businesses better through connections between people. We're a six-person tech startup based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Our team graduated from Tufts in May of 2017 and has been full-time since June. Today, you'll be hearing my voice, I'm Colette, and Ethan's. Ethan is one of Asena's co-founders, and we work on business development together. Today, we're going to talk about how we got the idea for the podcast, and we'll be interviewing two people about how different types of professional relationships affect their work. What you're hearing is the sound of a bar in Cambridge, Christopher's. It's just off Mass Ave, and I can't recommend it enough. Colette and I are here to discuss how we got the idea for this podcast and why we've decided to try it out. Okay, so how did this whole process actually get started? Why, how did you come up with the idea for this podcast? Well, because we work at a startup, we're basically workaholics. And because we started the company in college, we didn't have a ton of professional relationships at the beginning, but the ones that we have sort of grown over the years have been critical to our success. So we think about this all the time as being really important. And I'm a podcast junkie, so I was talking about it with a friend, and I basically decided that I wanted to explore all of the different kinds of ways that people think about professional relationships. I think that's awesome. Why'd you decide to add another thing to your to-do list and do this podcast with me? Um, well, I think other than how hilarious it is going to be to watch us attempt to make a podcast, that I think the subject matter is like really compelling. Um, I think that work relationships are obviously a huge part of our life, but I also think that in many ways business is like relationship driven. Business happens between people and I think that people don't study work relationships enough. And they and when they do, they treat them as being kind of sterile or outcome driven. And I think that if you and I can look at how to make work relationships better and, and whatever that means, right, whether that's mentorship or hiring or firing or sales, I think we can ultimately make business better. So you're narcissistic enough to think that we could make like a really good podcast. Yeah, I mean, we were narcissistic enough to think we could start a company in college, so. All right, good enough for me. In this next segment, we'll be talking to Omer Triman. Until very recently, he was the CEO of Rokana, an IT analytics company, which was acquired by Splunk. Over the past year, our team has developed a close working relationship with Omer, and so our question for him is, is it worth exploring work relationships as a subject? The purpose of the podcast is to talk about professional relationships and kind of look at how professional relationships drive business and what makes good professional relationships. Do you think of it's, it's, it's something worth talking about? You yeah, can I, laugh. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think that's fascinating. It's uh, in an area where people uh, pay a lot of lip service to networking Right, and getting to know people, but uh, very few of those uh, conversations, um, or even if you connect with someone and work on, you know, a business deal or get referred, turn into longer-term uh, relationships that are really centered around professional lives. So, what do you think is? I mean, when, if people are paying lip service to it, but they're not like delivering, like what's what's missing? I, I think people go into it with the assumption that either. Uh, it's a low effort, oh, okay. low okay. return. You know, I'm happy to connect into my network because it's growing my network, and it takes very little for me to send an email and make an introduction. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. Just call, call it 
what it is, right? It's pure networking. Right. Versus I've actually developed a connection with someone over the years that not only will they blindly do that, no questions asked, but they'll, you know, they'll, they'll be sort of the, uh, I need to lay down on the shrink's couch and just open up and ask you questions and give me advice. Or um, they will generally think about you when, you know, business ideas come up um, or, um, or be, you know, genuinely concerned for your ability to succeed and, and, and give you, you know, real thoughtful advice on, on what to do or how to, how to tackle a particular, you know, work, uh, uh, or work life challenge. Okay. So uh, it sounds like a lot of what I'm hearing you say is, is like a lack of investment almost, right? Like, like the, in a lot, a lot of times people don't have any sort of investment, but when you talked about, um, you know, somebody opening up to you, you know, kind of laying down on the couch and opening up to you, like you, you have an, an emotional investment in this person, right? Or if someone thinks of you when they have a business idea, right? They, I mean, you know, it's professional again, but they have a sort of professional investment in you. Um, well, relationships require work. Uh, and it's, I guess by analogy, take the word professional out of it, non-professional relationships. Uh, you got friends that you chat with or see on occasion or hang out with. And then you have the ones where like when they need you, you are there. And when you know them so well that you will think of them and reach out to them, even if you're not in touch on a day-to-day -day basis, right. um, you know, those are deep, long-lasting relationships. They're not just acquaintances right. versus, I think, put the professional word back in, um, there's professional acquaintances who you network with and you do business with and you can call them up and, you know, uh, maybe uh, propose a, a deal, right? Uh, and then there's professional relationships, by analogy, where these are kind of deep, invested, require work curation. Okay. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about some professional relationship that had uh, an effect on you? And, 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 you know, this could be when you were younger. Um, it could be now. Like, what is, you know, not a professional acquaintance? What is a professional relationship you had that had impact on you? Uh, so, I mean, the, the biggest uh, is someone who's been a mentor for me for, for many years. He uh, hired me at a company. He was my boss. Um, he kind of changed the trajectory of my career wow. and anytime I need advice or help or even it's the kind of person where I don't even know if I'm going to need his help necessarily, but I want him involved just in case. <laughs> and, right, A and, safety blanket. Well, yeah, cause I know like there's going to be something he's had more experience and right. it's just, I'm, I'm going to run into something and he's going to be there for me. No questions asked. And like, how did you initially form that connection like you know was it was it happenstance did you seek this person out like how did you how did you make that initial connection it i mean i, I think that's as difficult a question as how did friendships grow right right uh, you know fair. originally there was a, a there was a business relationship right uh you know he needed an engineer for a company uh i was an engineer looking for an next opportunity <laughs> right uh and like you probably equal to anyone else there um just in, in terms of connection. And then, you know, over time, we ended up just finding sort of the right chemistry and ability to work well together and and kind of developed and grew different aspects of the company. Um, and he, you know, he formed many such relationships uh, uh, over the years. And I was, you know, privileged to be there kind of at the right time and have the right fit to grow that one. And then kind of carry, just carried that over. We, um, we invested in it after I left the company, actually after he left and then I left, right? Um, uh, in uh, And just kind of main, maintaining the, the, the connection uh, and there were there's a number of years where there wasn't necessarily a, there wasn't even anything like business or professional that we needed from each other but we would think of each other and and, and more like he would as a mentor would, would think of me or I'd reach out to him for advice um, and then uh, and then kind of reconnected stronger 
um, as we found other opportunities to work together. Right. And, and, and you mentioned uh, chemistry. You said you guys had like the right chemistry. Um, and, you know, kind of ignoring generalizations, like for you guys, what, what do you think defined that chemistry? What does that mean to have the right chemistry? We, it, for this in particular, and I see other relationships formed that are different, um, but for this in particular, the, our work styles matched enough and then had enough that were, there's enough common in terms of how we think and how we work. So like 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. <laughs> or like what? And actually times, because uh, <laughs> I think he, no, like there was a lot, there was a lot different, because especially age-wise, right, I was just, you know, having kids and I was directing kind of the hours that I was awake and working and ability to travel and his were older, right, um, his are, you know, now graduated and gone and mine are like in the midst of they need lots of attention um that i think was was completely incompatible uh, we i think just our approach to thinking about business and in particular what i learned about focusing on customers and what customers needed and trying to fit a solution to a market need and the customer need kind of that that focus of the company not every company is customer focus some companies have a product that people want and they really could care less like who wants it or why you know as long as they pay for it um but he you know i think we shared a lot of that um, that ideal as an example i think there's probably others i spent time kind of needling on it i know that asana really considers you an important mentor in many ways i think you've become ethan's safety net sometimes he's like <laughs> i'll just he's, i'll just ask omer it's I won't fine admit that. we can cut that out of that. the podcast but what do you see your role as now that you're on the flip side and you're the one sort of i guess imparting the <laughs> right. wisdom rather than receiving <laughs> it i you know i, I actually i yeah I, I try to mimic i don't know how to pick so mm-hmm. I, like, I don't know how that works necessarily <laughs> um you know, who to be available to, but I try to mimic what I received, okay. um, which is sort of the, like, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I can do it, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, as long as Ethan continues to be an interesting person and who's respectful and that's the... Well, I think we learn we learn over time yeah. and we'll experience some adventures and see, mm-hmm. like, again, how the chemistry builds and where does it fit and where it doesn't. I think, you know, Ethan's also kind of figuring out his own way of mm-hmm. how, who he is in the professional world. Um, that... That yeah. takes a lot of time. It just takes years of trying and figuring out what you like and what you don't and what works for you and what mm-hmm. doesn't. Um, let me contrast this with someone who is, I call them more than an acquaintance, not quite that sort of, like we'll see over the years whether they yeah. emerge, you know, how close in professional relationship, but it seems to have the potential there. Complete opposite from me. Like he's who I go to when I need someone to tell me I'm 100% wrong and I'm not thinking about it the right <laughs> way. Like, Guaranteed, I'm going to get a different perspective, mm-hmm. and uh, and sometimes I follow that. Like I think through it, and I'll, I'll, I'll follow that advice. Um, sometimes, like yeah, I get it. I get why I should do that. I I can't. Right. right. Um, right. Other people in my shoes might in my shoes might do that, but right. And and so again, there's some things that we seem to start to share. We're kind of working through that. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of ethically, morally, how we approach businesses, how we think about things, and those are different than you know the professional, the mentor relationship that I have now right they're not these are not Mm -hmm. overlapping circles i don't know that um you know the first these two people would they would have they may not have a professional Uh relationship right no that makes total sense i'm actually interested in that because i think we think of relationships as being like warm and fuzzy and fun and i mean (laughs) obviously they they should be but also 
if you're surrounded by, you know, the kind of, so to speak, like, yes, yes, men or, or, or you know, whatever it is, um, you, you won't be successful professionally. How do you seek out, um, you know, constructive relationships that might also have some tension? Like, how do you approach that? Uh, well, I, first, I think if there, and there's um, the, you're familiar with the five dysfunctions? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, is that kind of like the seven deadly sins or? It's slightly. Which different. one is lust? No, never mind. Um, <laughs> the whole thing is built on, um, you know, on, on, on trust, right? right? And, it, you know, if you find and you develop that trust, then you can get uh, disagreements, right? Right. You, you, um, you can also get uh, sort of the accountability. If I'm going to spend time with you and you're going to completely blow off anything I say, you know, the relationship's not really going to grow and, and, uh, and develop. Um, I think there's a flip side to it, which is I hold myself accountable to explaining what I'm trying to get out of it, right? If I go to a mentor and ask for advice mm-hmm. and it's just open-ended, what should I do? I would expect my mentor, or I would expect myself, but, you know, mm-hmm. uh, over time, or sorry, initially my mentor, but over time myself to say, well, what are you trying to get out? Like you could do a lot of different right. things. What are you trying to get out of it? And then that's how you know whether following this advice is going to get you where, um, where you want to go. Thank yeah. you. All right, so Omer doesn't think our idea is bad necessarily. We talked with him pretty generally about work relationships, but we're a life science sales company. We're convinced that better relationships have concrete value. To discuss how work relationships can actually affect business is Scott McMenemy. Scott is the Northeast Regional Manager for Nexalon Bioscience, where he sells imaging instruments into academic and private R&D labs. Um, Okay, so Scott, I have a question for you, which is basically... When you look at what defines successful salespeople, what are the what are the characteristics of like somebody who's going to be successful in sales? I think there's a, there's a number of answers to that question. Uh, for me, some of the most important ones start out with somebody who is inherently uh, curious, curious to know okay. more about the people they're selling to, how they perform their daily tasks, their job. Um, what their expectations are. So a, a distinct curiosity um, has to be the first thing. Okay, and I, I know that you obviously come from a scientific background in, in terms of scientists. Do you, do you feel like uh, scientists kind of naturally make good salespeople? Uh, at the risk of offending everybody I sell to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't, think, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to say that scientists make better salespeople in life sciences, I think is kind of what you're trying to ask. No, not necessarily. I don't think it's to do with the science. I know a lot of people who are not PhD level scientists, but sell extremely well to PhD level scientists. It's not just about technical knowledge or scientific background. Right. It comes down to that person's ability, again, to, to understand relationships, build relationships, but also uh, to have something to offer that's not just the box or the service or the product they're trying to sell. Right. It's to, to offer insight and to offer uh, a new perspective for that customer that will help them improve what they're doing. Okay. Um, okay, so like, I mean, you also bring up relationships there and how important it is to, to build relationships and, and have somebody who has the capacity to build those relationships and maintain those relationships. As a salesperson, why are relationships important? Like, you know, for me, it's a really, really simple answer. It's because people buy from people. They don't buy from 
uh, a walking talking grocer. They buy from a person. People buy based purely on emotion. Because it's very, very easy. The easy part of sales is the rational part. The ticking boxes, you know, um, tech spec, um, does something technically do the job? Yes, but, you know, people people don't buy your product. Uh, this is something I go on about all the time and we've talked about before. People don't buy your product for the product. They buy it for what it offers them in terms of a solution, um, which is why in sales a lot of, positive buying signals that we've always classically taught about um, are when people start to imagine what their life will be like with your product. Right. Where are they going to put it? How is it going to fit into the day-to-day? -day? How will it change the day-to-day? -day? That's an emotional response. And emotion is about relationships. Right. Uh, and appealing to people's old brain. What do you mean by old brain? So the, the old brain, my brain's pretty old, but the old brain... Is this is the part of the brain that is your sort of fight flight, okay. and it's that um, risk averse part of your brain. Okay. And so a relationship in selling is not just an interaction; it's the ability of the salesperson to build up a level of trust that calms the old brain, satisfies the customer's old brain to say that yes, on paper my product does what they'll say say it does. And I go back to my example of that I always use in a learn from from many many books and videos is people don't buy quarter inch drill bits they buy quarter inch holes they just happen to have to buy the drill bit to get the hole to hang the beautiful picture that they want in their life right and that's that's what a salesperson has to do in a relationship right but here's how it's here's the actual solution in their life right and that's that's what a salesperson has to do in a relationship is communicate effectively understand the other person's needs. It does sound a lot like a relationship. Right? Um, to then have a, an amicable, uh, productive result for both people in the relationship. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Because, um, I mean, what I'm hearing you talk a lot about is a reduction of risk, right? From the, from the customer's perspective, you, the customer wants to know that, um, you know, they do want this quarter-inch hole, but there's a certain risk to creating that quarter-inch hole in their metaphorical wall, so to speak. And, you know, you are the, the person that's kind of... Um, the, the impetus that allows them to overcome that inertia and actually drill the hole. I think that's really interesting. And, um, you know, as somebody like me who, who, who's a little bit younger and who has less experience, not that you're too much, you know, too, too, too experienced. Um, uh, I, have, I have a, I have a face for podcasts. Let's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> me too. You know, how do you, how do you think about, uh, kind of training yourself to form better, uh, work, you know, professional relationships, sales relationships. How can I condition myself to do that better? Because I think it's a skill. I think it's a skill. Right. So I, I always take solace in something that Jim Rohn said, um, and he said that you should work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I, it kind of sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. You, there is no harm in learning about um, psychology and learning about how people react in different sales situations. So right. yes, of course, a little bit of it is getting burnt and just, you know, getting it wrong a few times. And But the, the important part of that is reviewing each situation. I completely, um, I completely understand that. I, I connect with that. Um, even, <laughs> even with my limited experience, I think I have, I've probably burned um, sales relationships, work relationships. Um, and because I don't want to talk about that, can you maybe provide an example of a time that you, learn from yeah 
I could probably pick you probably pick you quite a few. Um, <laughs> so what I, so what I would caveat before before I give a specific example is that that's something that we have developed of the small team that I work with. Right. right. Now, something that, uh, but we do it company wide. Um, but very, I'm very um, specific about it now. After every, before every presentation, we go in and we we sit down together before we meet with the customer. This is potentially weeks in advance. After that meeting, we do exactly the same thing. We sit down afterwards as a team immediately. It doesn't it doesn't wait. We do it immediately after, and we say, right, how do we? F-? And everyone to everyone in the team who was there contributes to say, well, this is how I felt it went. This is what I perceived, and review. So that's that's really really important, and that's I think where you get the quickest acceleration through success uh, by reviewing each each thing that you do a specific example um, <laughs> so that's that, that's like the framework for yeah. learning i would say right right right, right for for uh, learn from your mistakes right it's, okay. it's that simple and also learn from your successes too it feels like absolutely absolutely okay yeah. but so focusing on the mistakes because that's what people like <laughs> to hear about so what can you can you you know it and it doesn't have to be recently, you know, it could be, could be um, eons away, I'm sure, in your case. Um, that was an old joke. I don't know if you caught it. But any, anywho, no, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, but, you know, was the, is there one time that you, you felt like you learned from in particular? Yes. And I, it, it sticks in my head even to this day. And it's funny because tie, tying into everything we've spoken about, about building relationships, not having prepared myself with the relevant information I needed. And it was it was actually uh, to a lab uh, at a university in Scotland. <clears throat> so I went to this group to sell them one of the products. It's the same products I sell now. I was just doing it as a... I was straight out of grad school um, working for a company that was at that time the distributor for the company in the UK. And uh, I went into this, this lab with the product. Um, it was a fairly competitive situation against another product. But I, I went to great lengths having prepared myself going into a sales role to, to build a relationship, to understand, to use my knowledge as a scientist. Unfortunately, I hadn't prepared myself as a distributor with enough information about all of the products that would be uh. suitable for that. And so, long story short, I very successfully sold an instrument to this lab that, to be honest, wasn't the best for them. It was only going to get them so far. Right. But I didn't know that there was something better for them because I hadn't, and looking back, it disappoints me that I hadn't spent a little bit more time saying, well, is that really best? Uh, it was because I just didn't have the knowledge that I now have. But there's a positive end to this story. Because I had built a good relationship with those customers, um, the kind of customers where I could knock on the door any time during the week, go in, sit down, have a coffee. It was... It was it became a trusted advisor. And at one point I said to the customer, look, I'm really sorry, but there's actually now something better for you. And I feel bad that we didn't go there in the first place and we didn't do that. And and subsequently, um, after some company changes and, and this company started direct, uh, I kept in touch with that customer and ultimately we sold them the correct product in the end. Uh, and I think that's a perfect example of both of the problems we spoke about. I didn't prepare myself as a salesperson enough. Right. But I, one thing I do consider myself to be good at is building good, trusting relationships yeah. with customers. And so that that excused me in that situation. The customer trusted me enough to see that I came back with the right solution. So that would be my one example. All right. 
in that situation, it sounds like you had a really good relationship with the customer. But I think that sometimes there's customers that don't want, they don't want a lot of help or they don't really want to build that substantial relationship. So I guess what are the qualities within the customer and what are some warning signs for a salesperson who's trying to decide if it's not worth investing that time? I mean, that's a really good question. Yeah, I like and that. that's not it's not easy to answer because I think there's I think there's a lot of parts to it. But for me, I, to, to to take it as it as it was asked, what the one critical thing the customer has to have is they don't just have to have the need for your product, but they have to have a desire and a need to change what they're doing. That, you know, ultimately, that person has to be receptive to it. Um, and if you've done everything right on your side to bring the insight and the quality and the relationship. Mm -hmm. If that person just doesn't have the desire to change what they're doing, then you know you, you can lead a horse to water, which is not a <laughs> phrase that's very polite, but you can lead a horse to water. Uh, and I've had many examples of where I've come across customers who they weren't, they, you know, we could drag them to the water, but they weren't going to drink, at least not at that point. Right. The key to a really strong sales relationship, whether it be with a fantastic customer, if you want to call them that, mm -hmm. or one of these more difficult customers, Challenging, <laughs> challenging customers. Not quite ready customers. Half baked, half baked customers. Not quite ready customers. customers right, yeah. Before you put them in there, but the 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 key to I think a, a really driven, curious salesperson is to continue however long it actually takes within the confines of what you're doing. So continuing to show that person whether it takes a month, a year, three years. I've had customers whom have had no interest. But I knew there was a desire and a need based on my knowledge. And so I strategized with the team and we would send content on a regular basis. We would stop by, we'd send an email saying, oh, I don't know if you've seen this new paper. Um, and eventually you start to build up the credibility of that person. And then when their situation is receptive to change, you, they, you'll be the first person they come to if you've managed that relationship, regardless of how different it is from your other customer relationships. Mm -hmm. right. That's key. Right. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks. I really appreciate it, and I and I um I hope we can have you on again. I sure. I you. appreciate your insight, and those are some really great questions, some really good answers. Thanks for listening to our very first podcast. Next time, we'll be interviewing the three co-founders, talking about how they turned friendships into business relationships and founded a company. The podcast is run by Colette King and Ethan Copet. You can find us both on Twitter or at our company's website. Please leave any feedback in the comments section. We're always looking to improve.